Howdy, Sovereign Grace. How are you doing? Well, uh, from what I've been hearing, there's been a lot of people truly blessed by this psalm series. Um, I myself, one of them. So to Patrick, to uh, Brendo, Willsey, thank you guys so much for what you've been sharing. Uh, how exciting it's been to hear you guys speak. Um, I will start with a very quick apology. I married an American. That's not the apology. <laughs> but in living with my beautiful wife, I tend to pick up accents. And so a lot of the time when I'm speaking through a microphone, an American accent takes over me. I will do my best to try and stay as Australian as possible, to stay stay true to Sovereign Grace Sydney. But if I turn into a hillbilly, just cut me some slack, all right? Well, how about we uh, turn to Psalm 145. That's where I'll be preaching from this morning. What a beautiful psalm of praise it is. Entitled, Great is the Lord, it is a song of praise of David. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All of your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, you are so kind to us. And Lord, as I stand here this morning, I pray that we all would be lost in wonder, Lord. Lord, by these words that you have given to us, may we be lost in wonder of who you are 
God, I need your help. I cannot do this on my own strength. I did not do this out of my own revelation or study, Lord. It is by your Spirit in me. Lord, speak to us this morning. Amen. There has been a hero in the news lately. His name is Corporal Benjamin Robert Smith. He's an Australian soldier who fought in Afghanistan. He has been awarded the highest medal of honour that you can possibly be awarded in the Australian Army. It is called the Victoria's Cross. Victoria's Cross is an honour awarded for conspicuous gallantry in action in circumstances of extreme peril. So that is what this guy experienced and showed, extreme gallantry in circumstances of of peril. His account there on June 11, 2010, he single-handedly neutralized two enemy machine gun positions and exposed himself to fire to protect his mates. He says, we realized we had hit up against three machine guns and a number of other insurgents armed with rifles. Three of us ended up in front of the guns. The three diggers crawled within 20 metres of the insurgent position when grenades were thrown and another SAS soldier engaged the enemy positions until his gun jammed. That would be scary. The third soldier was under such withering fire that he could not even raise his head. So Corporal Robert Smith realised it was down to him. I saw my mates getting ripped up, so I decided to move forward. I wasn't going to sit there and do nothing. He got to the wall and silenced the first gun before moving forward nine metres to the second enemy machine gun, which also fell silent. Within seconds, my mates were right next to me, and we just decided to push the advantage while we still had it, killed a number more insurgents, and pretty much consolidated that position. He talks about it so frankly. (laughs) The battle lasted for six hours, and the odds were four to one against the Australians. He said his focus was to position himself to avoid being hit, concentrate on the fight, listen for the sounds of the enemy's weapons, and try to help everyone else there. You don't really focus on yourself, he said. He said a number of his colleagues would be recognised at a later date for their bravery that day. It is just like being in a football team, Corporal Robert Smith said. You go as hard as you can until the game is won. Our Prime Minister said, Benjamin Robert Smith, you went to Afghanistan a soldier, but you came back a hero. His actions are praiseworthy. We look at his actions and go, that guy did something that we couldn't do. His actions were praiseworthy because here he is doing something that we can't do. So we automatically give him praise. We give him worship. For something to be true praise or worship, it must be towards someone or something that is greater than us. So when the football season starts, we worship our footballers because they're out there doing things that we cannot do. I've tried, but I, f- I feel ridiculously short. We see the, the pop stars or the movie stars, and, and we, we ascribe them this praise, this worship, because they're doing stuff that we can't do. They're, they're greater than us. Jerry Bridges says, Worship is the specific act of ascribing to God the glory, majesty, honour, and worthiness which are His. 
You see, as human beings, we are made worshipping beings. We are put in an earth where obviously there is things greater than us. And we have this capacity to worship, to ascribe those things praise. R.C. Sproul said, It is imperative that the Christian, at the beginning of his pursuit to understand what true worship is, gets it clear that the object of our worship is God and God alone. And that's what David's communicating to us in this psalm. He's painting for us a picture of who God is. He is telling us that this God is worthy. He is telling us that God is eternally worthy of all our praise. Psalm 145 is a beautifully crafted acrostic. So remember in kindergarten where you do acrostic with your name? I remember I have one from my brother, and it's hilarious. It has my name and all these descriptions. And uh, so my name is Jesse, J-E-S-S-E. For the second S, he put, sometimes he's not very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, brother. (laughs) But this also is an acrostic. So each of the verses begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And writing in this style reflects David's creativity, it reflects his passion, but I think it also reflects the inexhaustible descriptions of God. He can think of a description for God for each letter of the alphabet because the descriptions of God are just inexhaustible. It is also the last of the writings in the Bible to be attributed to the hand of David. Now, doing a character study on on David and the worshipper he was, what a fitting send-off. Such a beautiful psalm of worship. Look at me, look at verse 2, 1 and 2 with me. David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. He's passionate. He is so adamant that he will praise God forever and ever. It comes from inside him. But why? Why is David so passionate and so adamant? And and what has he seen of God that he he can declare this? There's times when I don't feel this adamant. There's times when I wake up in the morning and my first thought is, man, my body hurts. Now that could be for three reasons. It could be because my body is aging ridiculously quickly. It could be because I had a net session with my brother and one of my best mates the day before at lunchtime and they just kept hitting me over my head so I was just doing everything I could to get them out and I've hurt myself. Or it could be because my beautiful wife practiced kung fu in her sleep. But there's times when I wake up and first thing in the morning, I don't feel like saying this to God. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. But David sees God as worthy. And not worthy as we see. So with with Corporal Benjamin Robert Smith, we see him as worthy and he'll be front page news for a week. Or we see our pop stars worthy for their first amazing single and then you never hear of them again. David doesn't see God worthy like we see worthy. David sees God as eternally worthy. Eternally worthy. 
He sees that God is eternally worthy of all our praise. Worship is a response. It's determined by what we know of what we are worshipping. If we don't see God as worthy, we will not worship him as such. But David sees God as worthy, hence his response. There's three characteristics or attributes of God that David outlines in this psalm that I have chosen to give us our reasoning for why God is eternally worthy of all our praise. So if you're taking notes, they are God is great, God is gracious, and God is king. So let's look at the first. God is great. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. For us, great is one of these words that just has no more meaning. It doesn't mean great anymore. We hear great. Great haircut, man. That was a great meal. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Your kids will go clean their room and, you did a great job, little Johnny. Great job. But great is a word that David used to describe God. The definition of great is of much more than ordinary size, extent, volume, much higher in some quality or degree, much above the ordinary or average of most importance. We see in the following verses, verses 4 to 7, One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. It's talking about God's works. We see that God is great in his works. His works of creation. Everywhere we look, we see God's wondrous works. From the nearest star, the sun, which rises every morning to give us light, to the galaxies on the clearest of night, just far away. You can't even fathom how far away they are. We see the forest, the plains in all their diversity, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, the animals of the land. Everywhere we look, God's greatness in creation, the way that every human being is unique. No two humans ever were created the same. To the intricate functionings of our body, day by day, minute by minute, minute by minute, second by second, that we don't even think twice about, and yet without, wouldn't survive. God's greatness is clearly displayed in creation. And yet, creation is only the product of God's greatness. Because in verse 3, it says, God's greatness is unsearchable. We can gain a true understanding of God's greatness, but never a complete or exhaustive understanding of God's greatness. David, the author of Psalm 145, was a shepherd, would have spent many, many a night 
under the galaxies, just peering up in amazement, in awe at how big the Creator is. I've had the privilege of spending a few nights out in Australia, hundreds of kilometres from the nearest city and light pollution and just staring up at the sky and it's so bright and clear and amazing, just in awe. If you ever get the opportunity to hang out with Nick White on a starry night, gosh, that sounds romantic. (laughs) He pulls out his little iPad thingy. I'm not great with technology, but geez, that thing's crazy. Holds it up at the stars like, hey, I'm going to take a photo of you. Presses a button. It tells you what star you're looking at and how far away it is and every single piece of information you could possibly ever want to know about this star. It's actually pretty cool. And it makes you just go, wow, that star is named by God. It's held in place by God. It didn't get there by accident. It's not shining by accident. God's in that. In Isaiah 40, there's a passage just describing God's greatness. And I love verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is not me. I haven't. But it's a metaphor that Isaiah uses to show us how great God is that he can measure the waters in the hollow of his hand. Okay, well, let's run with this metaphor for a second. How much water can you hold in the hollow of your hand? It's about, about a tablespoon. The amount of water in the earth, you ready for some numbers? I'm not a big numbers fan, but this is actually pretty cool. The amount of water on the earth is 1,260 trillion megalitres. So a trillion is 12 zeros. That's how much water is on the earth. And I use megalitres because if I use litres, we'd have to times that by a million again. So a million litres to a megalitre. Okay, so there are approximately 66.6 tablespoons in a litre. So times that by a million, there are approximately 66,600,000 tablespoons to a megalitre. So there are approximately 83,916 quintillion, that's 18 zeros, if I had it on the screen it would just keep going, tablespoons of water on the earth. And God says he, he measures that in the palm of his hand, in the hollow of his hand. So just going with that analogy, God is 83,916 quintillion times bigger than we are. He's huge. He's great. Obviously, it's a metaphor. God is not constrained to a number, no matter how big it is. I can't even comprehend that number. How on earth do you comprehend how big God is? God also shows us his greatness in his righteous deeds. All through the Bible, it is an account of God's righteous deeds, deed after deed, bringing his people out of Israel, out of Egypt, sorry, bringing his people out of Egypt, sustaining them in the desert, bringing down the walls of Jericho. God's deeds are righteous. But also, Matthew 10 has Jesus saying, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one falls to the ground apart from your Father. Nothing happens on this earth 
apart from God's action. God is acting in every single second, minute of our days. God did not just create the universe and go, okay, there you go, just do your thing. Oh man, it's falling apart. I'd better send Jesus. God is, is at work. God's righteous deeds every second, every minute, every day, forever and ever. God's deeds are just awesome. They show his unmatchable power, his sovereign ability, his true greatness. There's application for us here. If God is so great, if his greatness is unsearchable, let us devote time to studying and meditating God's greatness. A few books I would like to recommend one that I've read, Knowing God, by J.I. Packer. It was a gift from my father-in-law when I was on my way down to Mexico. What a timely gift it was to spend two months in a hotel on the beach in Mexico reading Knowing God and just gaining an understanding of, of who he is. Another that we sell at the... Oh, Knowing God has been ordered, so we should have it in one or two weeks at the bookstore. So if you want to get yourself a copy... I. Thoroughly recommend Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Bible Doctrine by Wayne Grudem has a whole section on God's attributes. That's what we want to be studying, guys. God's attributes, who God is. The Pleasures of God by John Piper, one of Dave's favorites. On his recommendation, I bought it for my sister, no, for my brother-in-law. And, and my brother-in-law and my sister have been reading it together and, and they called me out and told me, they were just like, we are blown away. It's theology of the deepest and richest kind. And then The Joy of Fearing God, which Dave already recommended today by Jerry Bridges. Guys, verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Let's do that. Let's meditate on God's glorious splendor. God is eternally worthy of all our praise because he is great. God is eternally worthy of all our praise because he is gracious. The second part of verse 13, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. In verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. These attributes of God, his faithfulness, his nearness, they're extended to us in God's grace. Because we're not deserving Are we deserving of a faithful God? We are not faithful. It is God's grace extending to us that he is faithful. And if God is faithful in all his words, if we take that verse for what it is, and the Bible speaks of promise, we can claim that promise in Jesus' name because he has said he is faithful In his words, are you weary? God is faithful. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46.1. God is faithful to that. He has given his word and reminded us through his word that he is faithful to his word. So we can go to his word. 
Are you discouraged in your faith? Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. In John 10, God is faithful to his words. Oh, praise God. Are you anxious? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What grace that God would give us his word and remind us that he is faithful to his word. What grace. Do circumstances or affliction rob us of, your joy, rob us of our joy and make us feel distant to God? Make us feel disconnected? Brendo spoke about Psalm 103. It's a great sermon. If you didn't hear it, it's online. But verse 18 says, God is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And he is faithful to that. God is near. But look at me. Look at verse 8 with me. Don't look at me. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is shown nowhere more powerfully than on the cross. God's grace extended to us. What amazing grace it is. That we, dead in our transgressions and sins, with no hope in the world, guilty, vile, helpless we, were rescued in God's grace by His Son dying on the cross for us. We are not deserving of this grace, but He extends it to us. Friends, what other reason would we need to see God as eternally worthy of all our praise? The very fact that we can spend eternity with Him is because of His Son. Because of Jesus dying for us. God is truly worthy of all of our praise because He is gracious. Finally, God is worthy of all our praise because he is king. In verse 1, David identifies someone greater than him. He says, I will extol you, my God and king. Now, David was a king. He was a king over a nation. He was elevated above that nation. He was seen as great to that nation. But here is David Identifying someone greater than him. Being a member of that nation, seeing your great king, who you have a larger perspective of, seeing him extol someone greater than than even him, God is great and he is king. David, king over a nation, God, king over all. 
the thoughts that are evoked in our minds when we think of a king, we think of a palace, a kingdom, a king on a throne, real big, with a crown, with robes, with people waiting on his every single need, with people waiting on his every word. For in that word could be life or death. David uses similar words to describe God as king in this psalm. Verse 11 and 12, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. That has implications for us. If God's dominion endures throughout all generations, if God is sovereign and will be the sovereign ruler forever and forever, we have nothing on earth to fear. Because nothing on earth will dethrone God. Nothing on earth will be greater than him one day. No power in heaven or earth will be greater than him. And we, as citizens of his kingdom, have nothing to fear. We do not have to fear that one day his dominion will end and we'll be carted off as slaves to have to worship some other king. No, that is not what Psalm 145 says. It says your dominion will endure throughout all generations. No one will stand in God's way. Verse 20. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Sorry, that was verse 19. Verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. It's a sober warning. This king is great, but he will not be opposed. I lived as my own king. I lived as my own king on my own throne, trying to make my own rules, trying to live my own way, as every human that's ever lived has. I thought I was my own king. And in my thinking of being my own king, I attempted to dethrone God so that I would be on that throne. I wanted that throne. That's treason. That is treason of the greatest scale. It is cosmic treason, and we are all guilty of it. We are all guilty of being our own kings. If you're here today and you don't call God your king... Please see in verse 20 that your position is not a good one. But you can call God king because of Jesus. Because God's grace is more than enough for us. And God's grace is more than enough for you too. Please don't leave today 
without finding out more. You can be part of God's kingdom by his grace, by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us while we were committing cosmic treason. Church, there's application for us here. A.W. Tozer wrote, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. That's what we're doing in heaven. We're praising God forever and forever, but we're called to do it here too. May we see the King in all his glory. May we see God in his unsearchable greatness. And may we remember his graciousness towards us. We will respond appropriately. We will echo David in verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Because God is eternally worthy of all our praise. Let's pray. Lord, you are greater than we can imagine. God, you are unfathomable. And yet you have revealed yourself to us in your word, by your spirit. God, thank you. God, these words that we have read in Psalm 145, God, may they fall on fertile soil. God, may we remember you in your, in your graciousness. God, may we see you as king. God, may we remember your greatness. And God, may we respond appropriately in praise every day from here to eternity. Oh, thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you that you have made the way. And God, how exciting to, exp- to spend eternity praising you. Amen.